This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg The last three letters, 22, 23, 24, he discusses prayer. In the first letter, basically, he's creating the atmosphere, the proper atmosphere for a shul, how everyone should be at peace with each other, everyone should respect each other, no one should think badly of each other. He said it's even worse than Lashon Harif. You're not allowed to slander or speak negatively. Surely you're not allowed to even think negatively. And he says if a negative thought enters your mind, you should dismiss it like, 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 it's, a, like it's idolatry. Surely every Jew would dismiss. You'd be horrified if suddenly it entered your mind, uh, an idolatrous thought. If you pictured a cross, you would be so horrified you would immediately banish it from your thoughts. He says... So how much more so if a negative thought crosses your mind about your fellow congregant, you should immediately banish it. So the atmosphere, when you walk into a shul, it should be an internal harmony. You know, you can sense it. You walk into a house, you know if there's peace, peace in the house. You can't fake it. The husband and wife can't fake it. You feel it in the ear right away. You sense it. There's peace, there's harmony, there's love, there's respect. There's, it's internal. It's not, you don't have to see them touching by the laws of Jewish modesty, they shouldn't touch in public. Husband and wife shouldn't touch in public in front of strangers. But you don't have to see anything physical. You don't have to be all over each other. You just sense the energy in the house. It's peaceful, it's harmonious. So till you walk into a shul, you can immediately sense the energy. If the people are at peace, if people respect each other, genuinely, not artificially, you know, the fake smile and, you know, the politician smile. It's real. <laughs> If it's, if it's genuine, it comes from within. The way, we tr- the way we look at each other, the way we're thinking about each other. So that's the first letter, the second part of the letter number 22. Then 23, he discusses how when 10 Jews gather together, the Shekhinah is present, which is something so powerful and so unique that it doesn't exist not only in this world, it doesn't exist in the upper worlds. All the angels together can make a minion. You get ten Jews together, you make a minion. You know what happens when you have a minion? Something magical happens. Just the mere presence of ten Jews being in the room together, you draw down the Shekhinah. God's transcendent, infinite self is drawn down and revealed. Everything in the creation is a little fragment, a little reflection, just a little... Even the angels. The... A minion reflects the whole, the ten sefirot, the whole Shekhinah, God's entire presence is, is felt and, and therefore it's such a holy moment. By definition, when ten Jews are together, it's, it's, an, it's a holy moment. Whether they feel it or not, they experience it or not, it doesn't change the fact. 
And he quotes the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid who said that if an angel were present, at that moment an angel would be consumed. They couldn't handle the holiness. It would be so holy, so intense, they couldn't handle it. So the Alter Rebbe says that consequently if a minion of Jews are gathered together, they daven mincha, let's say, and there's a break between mincha and mairev, don't waste that opportunity. Instead of using the time between mincha and mairev and just, you know, shooting the breeze and just talking and talking nonsense, even if they're not discussing politics, we're just talking nothing, narishkeit. Because you have the Shekhinah is present, Hashem is present. Use the opportunity to learn. Because you know what it means for ten Jews to learn together? If ten Jews that daven together are so powerful, because once you have the Shekhinah, you have Hashem's presence, whatever you do with that, if, even if they're just doing nothing, Hashem is present. So you can imagine if they're learning and they're doing something holy and they're the power of that learning, the intensity of that learning, it can't compare to an individual learning alone, by himself. So the Alter Rebbe says, he recommends, and he instituted that in the shuls, that the Mincha and Mairi, they shouldn't waste time, they should learn together. He says, in a way, it's an insult to the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is present, and what are you doing? What are you doing with that holiness, that intensity? Turning your back in it? Not. So utilize that moment to study Torah together. And he suggests they should learn in Yaakov, the stories of the Talmud, and they should learn um, Halacha, and on Shabbos, before Mincha, because there's no between Mincha and Meir, because people are busy eating Shalashudas, but before Mincha they should learn the laws of Shabbos. So again, this is all about how to behave in the shul, what to do with the time between, when you have ten Jews together, you should utilize that moment and appreciate, cherish the experience and cherish the, the Shekhinah and cherish that um, opportunity. That was the previous letter. And this letter, the Alter Rebbe is going to speak about how we're supposed to behave during davening. Alter Rebbe was very disturbed by the idea of people speaking during the davening. Not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never known. He was so disturbed by it that he wrote, he wrote a letter. And by the time you finish reading this letter, you'll never speak again. <laughs> During davening. <laughs> well, that's why we have lessons in Tanya.com. He quotes the Zohar. This is why Mashiach doesn't come, because people speak during davening. Really? That's how, how important it is. Um, you know, in some shuls, you have different sections. When you, when you sign up for membership, the high holiday services, they ask you what section you want to be in. The, the Wall Street section, the fact exchange, the sports <laughs> section. Depends on what, uh, what discussions you like to join in. Um, but the, you know, a shul, Al-Drabi is going to explain, again, davening, it's not just going through the motions, it's not just a religious obligation. Something very real happens during davening. We're speaking to Hashem. Hashem is, Hashem is present. It's real. So is this how you would behave? If you were to feel and to sense and to realize that Hashem is, and he uses the analogy, it's like knocking on the door, <laughs> and the king opens the door, and you walked away. 
Hashem is here. It's a private audience. Hashem allowed you in His presence. And you know, a king, a king, when he appears, he appears in perfect form. A king has to be very formal. A king gets all dressed up and before he lets himself be viewed in public, he dresses up in all his splendor. A king has to be seen, must be seen in public with all his splendor and all his glory and, and all his royalty. So the first thing you have to show is respect. You're in the presence of the king, you're in the presence of greatness, you're in the presence of... You've requested this audience. It's not easy to get in to see the king and find the king granted you your request. And he's projecting himself and all his majesty and all his glory. And, and you're looking at your cell phone, you're looking at your watch, you're texting. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> you imagine the reaction of the king? I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> so you're, you're in shul, you're in davening, you're in the middle of davening. You know, davening is a time where it's an auspicious time. The heavenly gates are open and our hearts are open. It's a time when, that's why we have set times for davening. These are set times when Hashem appears and Hashem says, allows us to speak to Him. You can't just go in any time and speak to the king. There's a time that He sets and He reveals Himself and He comes out and is accessible and we appear and we speak to the king appropriately, we take three steps back, take three steps forward, we put our feet together, we're standing in awe. Our mind is wandering. <laughs> our best business business ideas come to us. What are we going to say at the next meeting? But especially to talk, to have a conversation, to speak, but Hashem is present. It's like an insult. It's like slap in the face it's like completely sensitive so this is the theme this is the theme of this letter in the previous letter the Alter Rebbe explained how the Torah study of a group of at least ten or a mitzvah performed by them collectively brings about the indwelling of the Shekinah he spoke of how even those who engage in the abode of prayer sometimes spend the time before and after prayers in idle chatter Indeed, the Mishnah calls such a group a company of scoffers, since they are not studying Torah. The Alta Rebbe, therefore, urged that regular times be set aside between Mincha and Marav for the group study of Anyakov and of laws of practical application in the Shulchan Aruch. In the present letter, the Alta Rebbe goes on to condemn those who, during prayer services, engage in mundane conversation, not only on idle matters, but even on matters that are necessary for their livelihood. Such conversation at any other time would, of course, be permitted. During prayer services, however, it demonstrates that the speaker has no desire to behold the godliness that is revealed specifically during that time. This insensitivity is depicted by a parable drawn from the Zohar. For years on end, the terrestrial king hides his majestic splendor behind locked doors. Those of his subjects who have the discernment to value that splendor, eagerly wait there for years on end until they are granted a glimpse of it. Others are so foolish and so brazen that they show no interest. The time of prayer is a precious time below, echoing a propitious time above. 
above, as the Alter Rebbe states in chapter 12 of Tanya, is a time of Mochen de Badru, a time of sublime illumination in the upper world. Below, therefore, it is the time when every individual can respond to the call which the king issues to his subjects. If one is to receive the revelation, which becomes possible at the time of prayer, that time needs to be utilized for meditation on the greatness of Hashem. But if this meditation is to be fertile and give birth to the spiritual emotions of love and awe, it still needs to find its way into the worshiper's heart. This is the message of the following brief teaching of the Alta Rebbe. There is an expression of our sages, if one had the proper intention, Kivin Levo, he has fulfilled his obligation. Now Kivin shares a root with the Aramaic, Kivin, meaning windows. Accordingly, in the above quoted teaching of the sages, the Alta Rebbe read the following message. A man fulfills his obligation during prayer only if he has made a window in his heart so that the revelation that illuminates his mind during a prayer will radiate its warmth into his heart. So prayer has to be an experience, you know. There's certain great events that people will forever remember, you know, uh, royal events. <laughs> you know, people, uh, princes, that, that, that they had a wedding, people were like waiting for days and months and weeks and couldn't wait, you know. It was, a, it was an event they would remember for a lifetime, you know, royalty. So imagine the king is making an appearance. This is, this is not something that you take for granted. It's something that's it's a unique, it's a rare event. It's a type of event that will leave an impression for a lifetime. It's a type of event you'll be speaking about, you'll recall, you'll re-experience, you'll fondly remember. You have to realize that prayer is an experience. Hashem is revealing Himself. Hashem is making Himself accessible. Hashem is projecting and revealing Himself. It's not just mouthing words. It's not just filling obligations. It's, it's, it's not just going, going, going through the motions. I wrote, the whole idea of prayer is it has to have kavana. Prayer has to have kavana. He says kavana means that your heart has to respond. You have to be open. You have to feel and experience what's going on. You have to appreciate. Open to it. Open your heart to what's going on. And cherish it. And you know, it's not just another burden, another obligation. Okay, I have to pray. I have to, okay, let me fulfill the, this obligation. It, it should be an experience. Prayer is a service of the heart. Where do we learn prayer? It says in the Torah, serve Hashem with all your heart. The Talmud says, Talmudic rabbis, what's a service of the heart? Prayer. Because if your heart is not into it, then it's missing the whole point. It's not, what's not prayer? A parrot can also mouth words, but it's not prayer. It's not, prayer is personal. Prayer is, the king is revealing himself to you, and you are responding. It's a two-way street. The king reveals himself, and there's no audience <laughs> Could you imagine? The king comes and, and the auditorium is empty. There's no one there. No one even bothered to show up. So showing up doesn't mean physically being in shul. Saying you can physically be in, being a shul. It could be a packed synagogue. There's a thousand people in shul and the king is there and nobody showed up. There's nobody home. That's even worse. Right. You're in there. Imagine the king is there. He's appearing. And everyone is turning their back. Turn their back. 
This one is watching his cell phone. This one is wandering here. Yeah. The king is there, projecting himself in all his glory, revealing himself, and there's no response. Is, is anything worse? Is anything? Is a great a greater turn off? And take the simple meaning of prayer. Prayer, you want your prayers to be answered. I have certain needs. I'm asking Hashem, please give me health, give me a shiddah, give me success, give me whatever I need in my life. Yeah. You, think, you think your prayers are going to be answered? The king comes and you turn your back. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, <laughs> you know, make sure to give me this and that. You're lucky if I don't behead you. Forget about giving you what you want. Are you out of your mind? I mean, which universe are you living in? I mean, Prayer, is, it's a moment, it's a moment. And because of that moment and that connection and that intimacy within the king and the subject, therefore the king will grant whatever you're asking. But it's, it's the soul of prayer is the heart, is the connection, is the presence, appreciating when the king shows himself. You have to appreciate and you have to see his greatness and... And he's revealing his greatness to you. So you should get a glimpse of his greatness, of his royalty, of his majesty. If you're not absorbing and looking and absorbed in the experience and appreciating the moment, then not only is there no connection, you've actually, it would have been better if you would never show up. <laughs> to show up and to turn your back and to show a complete lack of understanding appreciation of who the king is and what the king is and royalty and majesty and the whole experience it's it's no good <laughs> it's not a good situation it's the exact opposite it's totally counterproductive totally backfire whatever you're asking for will be completely back and then we wonder our prayers are not answered that's prayer where's your heart Hashem is here Hashem says where are you I'm here I came, and nobody showed up. Yeah, physically you're present. That's even worse. You're physically present, and you're not here. Nobody home. You're not paying attention. Even if you intellectually know that your heart has to be open, you need that window to connect to Hashem, but you're repeating the same things every day, what are your suggestions to open that window? Very good question. Well. The difference between prayer and, and the Torah study, the mitzvah to study Torah is to learn something new, novel every day. Yeah, yeah. That's the nature of the mind. To keep your mind fresh, you always have to, curiosity, you always have to learn something new. Yes, there's, you, always have to, you also have to review that, that you already know. You should always constantly review it, but the main fulfillment of the mitzvah to Torah study is always learning something new. With prayer, the exact opposite. It's the same prayer. It's so predictable. I've said it thousands of times. I know what I'm going to say tomorrow, word for word. But the difference is, prayer is like a song. The difference between speech and singing, you know, if the rabbi gives it the same sermon again, <laughs> you know, I'm ready to fire him. <laughs> but you can hear your favorite song a thousand times. And you never, it never grows old. It's the right. thousandth time, it's like the very first time. It's always why. And we see many differences between singing and speaking. 
if, you, if I speak and someone is speaking at the same time, what do we call that? Interrupting. But if you sing and someone sings with you, that's the ideal. That's a chazan's dream. The cantor's dream, everyone sings with him. If I speak and you contradict me, we call it, we call it a, a conflict. But if you sing and someone sings a little different, what do we call it? Called, we call it harmony. When you speak, you speak with your, your eyes wide open. When you sing, you close your eyes. You really get into the singing. It's not so difficult to speak and not mean a word you say. That's right. Politicians do it all the time. But it's hard to sing and not mean what you sing. It's very hard. <laughs> Why? Because song is experience. Speaking is abstract. It's philosophical. It's an idea. It's a concept. Song is an experience. When you, ex when you experience something... Every time I'm singing, I'm re-experiencing it. So I'm experiencing it now. Even though it's been a thousand times, it's, it's, it's for the, like the very first time. It's always fresh. It's always new. Prayer, I'm not here to learn something new, new information. Prayer is to take that that I already know, all these wonderful ideas and all these wonderful concepts, the unity of Hashem and the absolute unity of Hashem and and the, all the worlds are nullified before Hashem. And to take all these ideas and to experience it. That's why Shema Yisrael, Hashem, we close our eyes, we focus, we concentrate. We try to experience it, not just mouth the words. Because these ideas are very deep and counterintuitive. The absolute unity of Hashem and all there is is Hashem and nothing else really exists. And what does that mean? To, to internalize it until you can experience it. That's what prayer is. And every time you relive it and re-experience it, time number a thousand is just as exciting and just as fresh as the first time. Even more so. You know, that people, actors, I asked an actor once, I mean, they, they, in Broadway, they do plays a thousand times. They try telling a joke a thousand times. The first time is funny. Second time is funny, but if I have the tenth time, if I have to say that joke once more, I'm going to die. And if you're not laughing, the audience is not laughing. It could be the funniest joke in the world, but if you're so sick and tired of that joke, if it doesn't touch, if it doesn't tickle your funny bone, it's going to fall flat. So how do, you, how do you say the same thing over and over and over, and the play over and over? And he told me, very interesting, he says, you know, the 600th time we do the play, we always try to find another angle of the story that we try to focus on. But the 600th time we're doing it, 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 it we, we discover a new nuance that we never, ever realized before, a whole new, fresh right. perspective and excitement. The truth is, even in studying is that way. The previous Rebbe once said, when you study some, something 60 times, you review something 60 times, the difference between the 59th and the 60th is more dramatic than, than the very first time you study. Because yes, yes. sometimes only something you've heard for years and you've known for years and you've learned for years, and then it hits you like, like a ton of bricks. It hits you. Suddenly you have a realization. Something so obvious, something so self-evident that was right in front of you, you never even realized. And it hits you. And you see something that you've never seen before. 
something so simple and clear, it's so crystal clear. And once you point it out to anyone, it's so obvious that you wonder why no one ever noticed it. It was like steering you in the face. But the deeper you get into it, you discover a whole new strata, a whole new understanding, a whole new nuance, a whole new application, a whole new meaning. So that's really what prayer is. It's really taking the information that we already have and personalizing it and applying it. Concentrate. That's why it's concentration. When you're concentrating, I'm not learning anything new. I'm taking an idea that I know, that I have. So most people, they don't concentrate. They have the idea and they move on. But a person who has the ability to focus and to concentrate, that's what we call maturity. That's the difference between the mature person and the immature person. When you concentrate on something, it's like, it's like pickling the idea. You soak in it. You absorb it. You internalize it. You personalize it. Then the abstract idea turns into conviction, turns into a force, a feeling. You start feeling the idea. It's more than just an abstract idea. It's like a difference between the economist talking about talking about uh, finances. The economist will never earned a penny in his life other than, other than his salary. Or the business person invested his life, put his life on the line, put his savings on the line. When he talks about finance, there's a richness, there's a maturity, there's a depth because he's been totally immersed in it. He's soaked in it. He's focused and concentrated. It's personal for him. It's, it's, it's emotional. It's not just intellectual. It's, it's, it's a very profound connection. He's totally connected to the idea. So that's the idea of concentration. I'm not learning anything new. I'm taking that that I already know and I'm personalizing, internalizing it, getting to its depth. And, and so it's a whole different story. It's like the difference between you have the concept, right? That's the architect. He comes up with an idea, concept. It's a visual concept of a building. That's Chachma. That's the first level. Then you have Bina. Bina is the engineer. Takes his concept, builds the structure, figures it all out, takes the idea, the concept, and you have a fully built structure. But it's beer. It's not livable. Then comes the interior decorator. Comes in, makes it livable and beautiful. And ah, that's, that's what focus and concentration is. The richness and the depth and the beauty and the, the, that only comes with focus and concentration. That's what prayer is. To, to plumb the richness, to appreciate it and to, to live where Judaism becomes livable. It becomes a living, breathing reality, not just ideas. Ideas are bouncing in our head. We all have many ideas, and, but it's very abstract. It doesn't impact our lives because it's too abstract. It's prayer that takes these ideas and personalizes and internalizes and turns it into a force in our life, into a reality, a livable reality. Yiddishkeit comes alive. Our faith in Hashem comes alive. Our relationship with Hashem comes alive. Our b- belief in the unity of Hashem and all these beautiful concepts come alive for us. That's what prayer is. That's the heart. So Hashem reveals Himself and makes Himself accessible. When you focus and concentrate in prayer during these times when the heaven is open, Hashem is revealing Himself, Hashem is making Himself accessible. It's easier for us than to accomplish all of this. So if we appreciate what Hashem is doing for us, He's revealing Himself and we take advantage of the opportunity and open our hearts and try to get close to Hashem, then it's a two-way street. Then there's reciprocity. Hashem is revealing and we're responding. And that's what prayer is.
the more we respond, the more Hashem reveals, and Hashem is pleased, and of course, all our prayers will be answered. But if a person lacks appreciation of this whole what experience, what's going on during prayer, Hashem is revealing Himself, and there's no response. Just looking at the watch, how quickly could we finish this and wrap this up? <laughs> and just, come on, move on, let's go. And next. It's like a, a, you know, fast food joint. Some in general, like a fast food joint. Okay, we can do it in five minutes, quick, let's go. Who can do it quicker and speed through the prayers and the express? It's not an express train. It's, 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 it's enjoy the ride, look at the countryside, look at the sights, experience. It's an experience. Prayer has to be an experience. That's what it is. Maturity is experience. There are people who are very brilliant, but they have no experiential, they have no experience. They have all these ideas and these wonderful ideas and they can articulate it and they're engineers, perfect engineers and very mathematical and their minds are very logical and brilliant and they have a lot of information. But they're soulless. There's no heart, there's no soul, there's no experience, there's no depth, there's no... It's not real life. It's all ideas, but it's not real life. Did you ever apply a single idea to your personal life? Did you ever focus? Did you ever concentrate? Did you ever come close to Hashem? Did you ever experience godliness? Did you ever experience Hashem? Did you ever... That's what prayer is, experiencing Hashem. That's why we're saying the same words. We're not... It's not about learning something new. It's taking that that we already know and pickling it and getting into it and absorbing it and experiencing it. And that takes time. That's why prayer takes time. If prayer is just about requesting, requesting your needs, it should be a five-minute a five minute affair. Okay, make a list. Some people, okay, some people have longer lists, a ten-minute affair. Wake up in the morning, Hashem, hello, this is what I need, goodbye, see you tomorrow, see you later. End of story. Prayer, an hour-long event every morning. What's, 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 what? Because prayer is not asking your needs. Asking your needs is a result of your encountering the king, of course. Everything you need comes from Hashem. So if you're close to Hashem, Hashem will give you everything you need. There's no question. And you have to ask, you have to ask what you need, because to do what Hashem wants of you, you have to know what you need also. Yeah. To have the wisdom to know what you need. That's what we say. The first blessing we say is, You give us the wisdom. We should have the wisdom to know what to pray for, what, I, what we truly need. And what we, but we have needs, and we need to fulfill our mission, Hashem. You know, we're as ambassadors. We need a fully stocked embassy. We need a well-stocked embassy. So you have to pray. It's a mitzvah. But the soul of prayer is connecting with Hashem. Hashem is revealing Himself, making that contact, making that connection, experiencing it, living it, appreciating it, cherishing it. Hashem is here, cherish it. The soul comes down into this world and Hashem gives us the opportunity, He reveals Himself. So that we should delight with Him. We should find Hashem delightful and we should find godliness inspiring and uplifting and delightful. Hashem is revealing Himself in all His majesty and all His glory. We should delight in it. That's why the soul came down into this world. And we turn our back and we don't appreciate it, we don't cherish it, we, we, we miss the whole point. It's, it's a tragedy. Then the prayer turns into, it's completely counterproductive. You think Hashem is likely to respond to our prayers? Such a prayer. <laughs> what, what kind of prayer is that? It's an insult. Not, you came to ask me for your needs, 
Can you imagine you're coming to the king, your life is in his hands, everything you need is in his hands, you finally have his attention, he made time for you, and you turn your back to him. What, what do you think is going to happen? You don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out what's going to happen. Whatever you intended is going to be the exact opposite. Imagine, is there a greater insult to Hashem? So, so, but the, so the heart and soul of prayer is the encounter. It's the experience. It's opening your heart. Connecting with Hashem. That's the soul. That's the window. That's the kavana. That's what prayer accomplishes. At least we're trying. Paying attention. It all begins with the realization. If you don't study this letter in Tanya and you don't appreciate, you don't realize, then you, know, you don't even stand the chance. At least we have the information. Now we can do something with that information. Okay, continue. I beg of you. I beg of you. Friends who are beloved unto the Maker and hateful unto their evil inclination. Do no wrong. Right. That's a play on words. Yitzram and Yitzram. Yitzram is the one who created us, Hashem. And Yitzram is the evil inclination. So, so a person, either we belong to Hashem, or we belong to the evil inclination. There are those people who have completely surrendered themselves, either out of weakness, they just don't have the energy to fight, so they completely surrender themselves to the evil inclination. They, they no longer, they gave up the struggle. They just completely surrender themselves to their basic urges and instincts, and they don't even struggle anymore. They don't even try. While there are those who are, no, we belong to Hashem. We're in Hashem's army. We belong to Hashem. We're loyal to Him. We're, gonna, we're holy. We're going to live a holy life. We're going to live a Jewish life. It's a struggle. It's a conflict, but we're up for the struggle. We're up for the battle. We're not giving up. Even if we fail, even if we stumble, we pick ourselves up. We continue. We're not surrendering to the Yetzirah. So those who are beloved to their creator, who are hated by their evil inclination, because we're fighting the evil inclination. The evil inclination, uh, we're not his most favorite person, because we're not, uh, we're not surrendering to him. So many people have given up the struggle. Today we've made it turn into a philosophy. Be true to yourself. Follow your urges. Follow your instincts. It becomes a mitzvah today. Today it's something to be proud of. and something. It becomes a, a, a religious mandate. You have to surrender to your baser instincts and to your lowest common denominator and to every urge and every sick urge that a person may have and every instinct that a person may have. Those are beloved to the Yetzirah. <laughs> and the opposite. is The exact opposite of what he says here. But a Jew doesn't throw in the towel. Doesn't give up so quickly. We belong to Hashem. Whatever happens, I belong to Hashem. I'm not perfect. But I belong to Hashem. I'm in Hashem's camp, not in the evil inclinations. He doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> I'm going to fight you. Sometimes I lose, but you're my enemy. You're not my friend. Hashem is my friend, and I'm with him, and his Torah, and the Jewish way of life, 3,800 years of Yiddishkeit. I would rather choose that than choose you and, and all these false advertisements. That's, really, that's the play in words. Love, who are beloved by the, the Hashem and who are hated by the Yetzirah, because we're enemies. We, 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 you know, the trick is up. We know the Yetzirah is not our friend. It's pulling us down. It's a, it's a dead end. No nachas. We won't have any nachas if we follow him. 
and the game is up. So he, he hates us because we're too clever, we're too smart to fall for his tricks. Let no one make himself wicked before God during that one hour that he has chosen all day so that people can congregate and stand before him during that hour. But this is an auspicious time for him to be revealed and to come into the miniature sanctuary of the synagogue. To congregate and stand, because he's talking about specifically the yeah. Amidah prayer, the Shmon yeah, yeah, when you have Amidah. to stand up, yeah. right? Because that's the climax of prayer. That's when you have your audience with the king. Everything else is like... like a preparation. That's a preparation. That's a preparation. That's preparation. That's okay. In the outer chambers, and you're preparing, getting closer and closer, you're making your way towards the, the palace, and Amidah is when, you know, there the are four different parts of prayer. Like Jacob's ladder, Jacob climbed the ladder, it was four rungs in the ladder. Just like you have four different levels in, in, the, the, in, in the world. You have the in, inorganic, like a stone, earth, you have, and then you have the organic life, then you have the animal life, and you have human life. So the stone doesn't move on its own. You have to move the stone. So the first part of prayer, the introduction to prayer, which we start at home, is someone talking to us. It's like a child, you know, a child can't pick himself up. Someone has to educate the child. So we are being told all these wonderful things about Hashem, like a stone that has to be lifted up and moved around. We're just receivers. We, we're not in the position to the second level. Is that the holders? That, that, that's the first part, till, till Baruch Shammah. Okay. We say, Hashem. Someone is telling us, admit Hashem, give thanks to Hashem. Someone is speaking to us. Someone is speaking to us, addressing us, educating us, and trying to tell us, make us aware of Hashem. Like a stone that has to be lifted, like a child that has to be taught. He can't teach himself. He has to be taught. He has to be told, Hashem. give thanks to Hashem. Start, oh, be aware that there's a God. With Baruch Amar, we start the next stage. It's like the organic life. With Baruch Amar, we're speaking. We're praising Hashem's uh, praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're praising Hashem. It's like we're telling others. We're in a position that we start relating Hashem's greatness to others. Like, like you tell a story. You're all excited about an experience. You just went on a trip and you saw this palace and you're describing it. So you're trying to tell others. You're so excited. You're animated. You're excited. You're telling others about the greatness of Hashem and His praise. So this is already a step up. You're speaking to others. After the baruchu, the Shema, and the blessings of the Shema, you sit down, and it's like you're speaking to yourself. It's like a difference between action, lowest levels like action, like a stone, it's, it's, it's something physical. Then you have speech, the second level, we're speaking, we're praising Hashem. And then comes thought. Thought is also a form of speech, but it's speaking to ourselves instead of speaking to others. Shema is a time when we focus and we concentrate and we're speaking to ourselves, trying to impress upon ourselves, convince ourselves and compress upon ourselves in a very deep way the greatness of Hashem, the unity of Hashem. So we're speaking to ourselves. And then comes the fourth level. Hashem Himself. This is the private audience. This is where we have the private audience. We talk directly to Hashem. Baruch Atah. We're addressing Hashem face to face, person to person. So that's, that's the climax and, and, and the pinnacle. That is the Amidah, the, the highest prayer. Is it the Shekhinah of the Suari that dwells with the Jewish people in the midst of their impurity? Even in the impurity of exile, the Divine Presence abides amongst the Jewish people. And at the auspicious hour of prayer, the Almighty Himself comes, as it were, 
So there's the Shina that, that resides constantly among the people. Because it says in the Torah, build for me a temple and I will dwell in it. So the Shina is really present in the temple. But Hashem loves the Jewish people and even though He exiled us, it's not that God banished us and disconnected Himself from us. No. Exile is not a disconnect. Hashem is with us. He loves us unconditionally. He's with us no matter what. Even in exile, even in our impurity, Hashem is with us. The Shekhinah is with us. Where's the Shekhinah? There's no temple. The, the synagogue is a miniature temple. So when we pray, Hashem himself, the Shekhinah is present. Hashem never disconnected himself from us. You know, it's not like the way the Goyim always taunt the Jews. Look, don't you get the message? God hates you. He unchose you. He destroyed his home. He exiled you. What more could he do to tell you that it's over? Nothing could be further than the truth. It's not over. Are you kidding me? The connection is stronger than ever. On the contrary. It's in exile that you see Hashem's unconditional love for the Jewish people. It's one thing that he loves us when we're in the temple, when we're in a high level and very spiritual. But even in our impurity, and even when we're in exile, and even when he's banishing us, he's still with us, and he still loves us unconditionally. You see how connected we are, how deep that connection is. It's unconditional, it's a real connection. And it's unbreakable, and Hashem is with us. And he, and he allows us to speak to Him and to, uh, to access it. The inshul during prayer. That's the moments of contact, that's the moment of connection. And to be accessible to those who seek Him and achieve Him and your friends. Hashem is interactive, it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a relationship. It's not that you press a button and something happens. It's like a, a relationship. If you love someone, they'll love you in return. If you draw close to someone, you feel close to someone, they'll feel close to you. It's alive. It's a live connection. It's a real... If you distance yourself, if you, if you feel if you, don't, if you don't love someone, they're not going to love you. It, it's, if the way... What you put in is, is exactly the response that you get. You know, the Kotzke Rebbe once asked his Hasidim, where is God found? So they said, everywhere. God is everywhere. He says, no, 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 no. God is found wherever you allow Him. Allow Him. If you allow Him into your heart, if you open your heart, that's where Hashem is found. Hashem is making Himself present. But only for those who open their hearts, who search Hashem, who yearn for Hashem. It's like a marriage, a relationship. If you're cold and indifferent to your spouse, it's the, it's the biggest turnoff. Your spouse will reciprocate. If you're warm and close to your spouse, your spouse will reciprocate. It's a two-way street. It's, it's, it's a real connection. It's a real relationship. So, of course, Hashem is making Himself available and He's accessible and His Shekhinah is with us even in our state of exile. But only to those who seek Him and search Him and are open to Him. Because if you turn your back, that's the biggest turn-off. And the biggest turn-off is when you are physically together, if you're present, you're physically present with someone and you turn your back on them. You can, you're right next to each other and you turn your back. That's the greatest turn-off. So you're in shul. Hashem is accessible. He's revealing Himself. 
and you're turning your back. You're not seeking, you're not yearning, you're not searching. Davening should change you, should transform you, should inspire you. You know, when the Rebbe would walk out of davening, he walked into synagogue one person, he walked out of synagogue a different person. He was taller, he walked, like, he was literally refreshed, rejuvenated, invigorated with a, with a, with a, with a bounce in the step and with a fire and with a, with a purpose. It was like davening was an experience. It wasn't just going through the motions. But he says if you daven and you walk away as cold as ice, as a piece of ice that you wore before davening and the same piece of ice after davening and nothing moved and no changement and the same grim expression and there was no inner movement. Nothing happened on the inside. There was no soul. There was no stirring. There was no shift. There was no change. That's not davening. That's turning your back in Hashem. At this auspicious time of prayer, he who speaks of his needs demonstrates that he has no desire to contemplate and to behold the manifestation of Hashem's majestic So if someone turns prayer into just a request, like a jukebox, God is a jukebox. Okay, God, let me put in my request and I expect you to fulfill my request, and, that's, and I'm doing a mitzvah. Maybe I should get a share in the world to come. I'm, I'm such a good Jew. I'm waking up early, and I'm coming to shul, and I'm fulfilling my obligation. If that's what prayer is all about, just to ask for your needs, it's, it's, it's tragic. It's very sad. Because Hashem is here, and all you can think of is your personal needs. What do, you, what do you think this is? A mechanical event? You just hand in your list. It's a laundry list. Okay, Sham, here's my laundry list. Please, I, I'll pick it up. <laughs> I'll pick it up from the dry cleaners tomorrow. Just <laughs> what do you think Hashem is? What do, what do you think this is? It's just a. And you're proud of yourself, I filled my obligation, I'm a good Jew, I'm fulfilling my duties. Three times a day I'm coming to shul, I'm a good Jew, following the code of Jewish law. Hashem is present, Hashem is here. It's like showing respect, it's just appreciating what Hashem is revealing Himself. He's revealing Himself in all His glory, in all His majesty. He's making himself accessible. He's granting you a private audience. Come, speak to me. Let's have a conversation. Let's connect. It's like a marriage. And the only things that the spouse discuss is business. Let's talk about what we're picking up from the grocery, what we need from the grocery today. There's no connection. There's no intimacy. I'm here. We're together. Where's the, where's the personal connection? It's all mechanical and technical and, and it's so cold and so indifferent and so... It's tragic. You have a marriage, and some people just get 1% out of the marriage instead of getting 100% out of the marriage. You're there. You're together. You're, where's the love and the connection and the intimacy? and the? Is this what this is all about? 
a laundry list. Is this what it has come down to? <laughs> Mechanical? Paying the electric bills or figuring out there's no chemistry? There's no personal connection? It's tragic. Hashem is here. I want to have a relationship with you. Hashem is here. I want to, I want to connect with you. Please. Let's talk business. This is my laundry list. This is what we need. Let's get it. I mean, could you imagine how tragic that is? How sad that is? How pathetic? How... And the person doesn't even realize the slap in the face. He's so clueless. That's the worst part. Hashem is offering himself. <laughs> he wants to enter, for whatever reason, he wants to enter the relationship with us. We don't even deserve it. We, who are we? And yet Hashem, in all his glory, is revealing himself to us, is opening himself up, inviting us into his inner palace, into his inner chamber, to be alone with us, intimate with us. And we are reducing it to business. Let's talk business, laundry, I don't have time. Come on. I got to run. You got to run? Are you kidding? <laughs> Where are you running to? What, what are you running from? I'm here. What, what else could you want? What else could you need? I'm, I'm ready to marry you, to interview with you, to have a relationship with you, connect with you. And you're completely clueless. You don't cherish, you don't realize, you don't appreciate, you don't even want, you don't even desire, you don't even yearn. How foolish could my spouse be? That hurts. That's like a, a stab in the heart. So instead of prayer being a time of joy, you turn the whole thing into a tishabov. You turn the whole prayer into a tragedy. Hashem is crying. Nebuch, this is, this is, this is. Hashem is also looking forward. It's a two-way street. Hashem is excited. He's, I'm giving you the audience. I want to speak to you. Let's connect. Nobody home? There's nobody there. Clueless. Looking at the watch. Another obligation to get rid of. Okay, come on, get over with. It's quicker. Come on, what's taking so long? We should be out of here in three and a half minutes. Why are you praying for four minutes? Come on, who has time for this? Let me get back to the real life, the real business. Let me look at the stock market. Let me go watch what's going on. What are you wasting my time with this prayer? Chazan is too long. I can't. It's tragic. No understanding, no appreciation, no realization, no awareness, no. Unless he becomes an impure chariot, i.e. the subservient vehicle to the supernal fool. He means the clipper, means the, the negative energy of the universe. He becomes a fool. A chariot of all. Could there be a greater fool in the world? Forget about the insult and the treason, the harsh things. The worst part is the foolishness. I mean, I, <laughs> the opportunity that you have. No one in the universe has this opportunity. Hashem is not being intimate with angels. He's being intimate with you. He has chosen you. He's being intimate with you. His Shekhinah is here. 
He's in with you, despite your degraded state and an exile and an impurity. He's in your shul. He's coming here. He's here in all of his presence and all of his glory and his transcendent, infinite state. He's opening himself up to you, inviting you in. And there's no response. He's asking us on a date. There's no response. No excitement. No enthusiasm, no joy, no passion, no thrill, no, no awareness, no appreciation. It's foolish. It's sad. It's tragic. It's, 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 he's, not, he's, not, he, he's not talking about, he's not talking harshly, you're going to be punished, you're going to burn in hell. It's, it, it just, it's just sad. You want to cry. I mean, how foolish could you be? I mean, how mindless. So clueless. That's what hurts most. It's the foolishness that hurts the most. That a yid should be so foolish. That's, that's, everything else could be forgiven. But foolishness. <laughs> I mean, how, you have an opportunity to, to, make, to make a billion dollars. And, and you know, I'm sorry, I have no time. I'm busy. I, I, gotta, I gotta have a... It, it's, the foolishness is what hurts the most. Of whom it is said that fool does not desire understanding, as stated in the Zohar and by Rabbi Isaac Luria of blessed memory. This means he has no desire to contemplate and to behold the glorious splendor of the greatness of the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be he, which becomes revealed at this hour above, for the hour of prayer is a propitious time above. This is a set time. The halachic times of prayers are the set time that Hashem reveals Himself. These times are set in heaven that Hashem reveals Himself. Godliness is revealed and accessible. Continue. It is also revealed below to those who earnestly desire to gaze upon His glory and greatness, which garbs and vests itself in the words of the liturgy which is known to all, and which becomes revealed to every individual according to his intellect and according to the root of his soul. As it is written, a man is praised, Yehulal, according to the measure of his intellect. That's how it's read, but the way it's, it's spelled without the vav, as spelled, continue. As spelled, the word could be pronounced Yehalel. The verse would thus mean a man praises and prays according to the measure of his intellect, i.e., in proportion to his comprehension of God's greatness. So based on your understanding, your emotions are based on your understanding. A child has a very, uh, very sm- small intellect, so his emotions are accordingly. The greater the intellect, according to the root of your soul, the, the more penetrating, the more mature, the more deeper your intellect, the more you will praise Hashem accordingly. You will appreciate, you'll, you'll respond accordingly, you'll, you'll feel the feelings will be more intense and deeper and more mature. So it all depends on your investment. You have the potential. Every soul has a certain potential. But if you fulfill the best of your potential, to the maximum of your potential, you're investing and your time of prayer is a time of, of also intellect. It's not just your heart. Your heart alone is running on empty. Heart has to be based on awareness. 
according to your understanding, your heart will sing in praise. The deeper your understanding, the deeper your awareness, and the more mature your, uh, your level of understanding, based on that, the emotions will also be much deeper and much more mature. You can't just have emotions, emotions without any grounding. Emotions without any grounding has no last staying power. It's, 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 it's based on thin air. It's like quicksand. It, it evaporates. It, you know, suddenly you have an inspiration. But it, and these sudden inspirations come and go. And easy come, easy go. It's only when the feelings and the emotions are built on a solid foundation, on your understanding, and a deep understanding and a mature understanding. This is even true of people who went to yeshiva for years, all their lives. Ask them to talk about the stock market. You have 12 hours. He'll tell you all the ins and the outs and options and this strategy and that strategy. Talk about their business. Things that they figured out after years of experience. They can talk to you for hours of their whole philosophy and approach to business and sales. And they'll be very animated about it. You ask the average yeshiva who spent his whole life in yeshiva, tell me something about God. What's there to say? I believe in God. It's a three-second discussion. There's nothing to say. I'm a Jew and I believe in God. Next. So wait a minute. You can talk about the stock market for hours. You can talk about your business and your career and your profession for hours. But God, your whole life, you're doing mitzvahs and you're learning Torah and you spend your whole life in yeshiva and learning and you're learning daf yomi and you're learning this and you're learning that. I mean, are you a child? Are you a mature person? You have nothing to say about Hashem? It should be at least a 12-hour discussion. Uh, you know, there's so much to speak about and there's so much to... I've thought about it and I've... I've, I've you know, there's so much I've worked through and... But it means there's no foundation. It means it's not real. So all the emotions are, are thin air. It's based on nothing. It's... it's God is just an abstraction. I've never thought about it. I have like a kindergarten level understanding of Hashem. That's what happens when you don't study chasidut. A person who studies his whole life just studies Talmud and just studies halacha, but he never studied Tanya. It's almost like a childish kindergarten level understanding of, of, of Hashem. I have nothing to say. There's nothing. I, I never thought about it. I never once spent three minutes really thinking about the 13 principles of faith and what it means. And so, it's, so it's childish. You can't have a real relationship with Hashem. We're talking about tefillah. It's a marriage, a relationship. It's not a, you have to have a mature relationship. Could you, have, could you have a mature relationship with a child? A baby? You're like, spiritually, you're like a little baby, a kindergarten baby. You can't, you can't have a marriage with a baby. I, I can't have a conversation. There's nothing to discuss. So, so the Shlema Melo says, Lefi sikhloi. According to your intellect and your understanding and the depth of your understanding and the root of your understanding and how penetrating your understanding is, based on that, you can praise Hashem. You can have a relationship with Hashem. A solid relationship. Emotions that are built on solid awareness and understanding, it's mature. Otherwise, the faith is very immature. It's very, the whole Yiddish guide is immature. It's not, it's not real. It's, 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 it's. That's why the Chabad approach. It has to be based. Of course, the main thing is the heart. The fire in the heart, but it has to be built and based on solid understanding, awareness, correct understanding. 
correct thinking, correct understanding, a deep, mature understanding, which leads to a solid emotion, a mature emotion and relationship. Now the kingdom of heaven is similar to a kingdom on earth. It is customary for a king to have his might concealed in his innermost chambers, with many guards at the doors, so that many people wait for days and years, hoping to behold his might and glory. Now when he wishes to be seen by all, and proclaims throughout his kingdom that his subjects should assemble and stand before him, so that he can show them his majestic glory and the exalted splendor of his greatness. Whoever will stand before him and not care to see him, busying himself at that time with his own needs. How lowly, foolish, and senseless is he. He resembles an animal in the eyes of all. Moreover, it is a dishonor to the king when he demonstrates before him that to have pleasure and delight in gazing upon his glory and beauty is of no more esteem in his eyes than busying himself with his own needs. Moreover, it is a capital offense towards the king to exhibit how he disgraces and dishonors the king in the eyes of the public. Of this it is written, and fools raise the insult. This means to say that though he is a fool, he should not raise the insult, making it apparent to all. For this not only dishonors the king, but also constitutes a capital offense. He's suggesting that even if you are a fool, <laughs> and you have no sensitivity and you have no appreciation for what prayer is fine, granted but at least don't parade it in public so what should you do? the Rebbe would also say many times put your talus over your head so everyone thinks that you're, you're deep you're lost in deep meditation fall asleep Sleep under your talus, but at least people think that you're praying. At least people think that you're, you're swaying. They don't realize you're swaying because you're falling asleep. <laughs> and your eyes are closed, not because of deep concentration, because you're in deep sleep. <laughs> but at least... <laughs> snoring, that's a little problem. <laughs> but bring along some smelling salt so you can wake yourself up. But at least fake it. At least don't. Sh- at least let it appear for everyone in shul that you're davening. But for a person to blatantly and openly discard and show no respect and show no appreciation of what's going on. You know, you used to walk in. I remember walking into shul when I was young in 770. You used to see these older Hasidim davening for hours. They would daven until 4 in the afternoon. They started at 6 a.m. It's not like they woke up at 12 and... <laughs> They started at 6 a.m., went to the mikveh, studied chassidut for a few hours, then davened for hours, meditating, singing, crying. I mean, to them, davening was an experience. This, this, how, this is the Chabad approach to davening. Davening is an experience. It's a living connection it's with, how, with Hashem. It's, a, it's alive. It's real. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a marriage. It's a relationship. Hashem is revealing Himself to us, and we respond, and we yearn, and we cry, and we connect, and we rejoice, and it's alive. It's real. It's an experience. And it takes time. You know, this, this doesn't happen. There's nothing instant. You know, not, nothing in real life is instant. Even instant coffee is not instant. <laughs> anything that's worthwhile, it takes time. You know, when you eat food, you have to digest the food. If you're just going to swallow the food, it's going to be completely counterproductive. You have to chew and you have to let it digest. And there's no such thing as instant. Anything that's worthwhile, it takes time. You have to chew, digest it, internalize it. So davening is, is an event. 
it's an experience, something you prepare for, it's something you, you experience, it's something you internalize afterwards. The Mishnah says in, in, in Tractate Baruch, the very first Tractate, the first Hasidim used to daven nine hours every day. Every prayer took them three hours. They would prepare for an hour, they would daven for an hour, and then they would wait an hour to absorb and assimilate that experience. And this happened nine hours a day. So what's the Mishnah telling us? That davening is not just... It's telling all of us that davening is not just mouthing words in, you know, in the racetracks, which horse can run faster, which minion can finish quicker and, and get to the Kiddush. It, it, it's, 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 it's an experience. So a person who doesn't appreciate it, he's like an animal. The king is standing there. The king, after being hidden for so many years and being hidden, finally reveals himself. If you're not sitting there in awe and, and, and absorbing the experience and appreciating the experience and drinking it all in and looking at the king's glory and his majesty and, and just being in awe of the whole experience, instead, you're sitting over there having a conversation with your friend. The king is right here. Uh, yeah, okay, so how's the market doing today? Yeah, what's going on? And a little gossip here, looking at your cell phone, looking at your watches. Is there a greater animal? What, what, what kind of what kind of vilda chay is this? What kind of a, a clueless a person so clueless? Forget about the punishment. He says, of course the punishment because you're insulting the king. It's like treason. Anyone who behaves like that, disrespect in front of the king is right there. Shows such disrespect. Forget about your prayers being answered. <laughs> Whatever you're asking for is gonna is gonna be a hundred percent the opposite. This is completely boomerang. But besides all of that, he's not talking so much about the punishment more about the foolishness what kind of animals and to show it in public means you have okay you have no respect but to show you have no respect and to do it publicly so he says don't show your foolishness in public cover your cover your head with the talus pretend that let everyone think that you're davening <laughs> sleep read a paper under the talus whatever it is <laughs> read yourself under the talus but at least pretend that you're davening at least pretend don't show you your, that you're an animal in front of everyone. You complete foolishness and cluelessness and insensitivity. And I mean, unfortunately, he's describing the scene in most shuls today. <laughs> you know, the davening is not serious. It's not a davening. It's, 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 it's... Okay, there are shuls that are very careful that people shouldn't speak. Show respect very careful, they're constantly announcing, don't speak and show your respect. In synagogue, don't say, don't speak, sit quietly. You know, some shuls are like a chicken market. But here is, some shuls are very polite. But the whole davening is polite. It's an external politeness. It's better than showing respect. That's wonderful. Like he says, don't show your foolishness publicly. But the whole davening is polite. It's not, it's, 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 it, it, Hashem is here. You should be jumping up, you should be stirring, something should be soul stirring inside of you. Something should, some movement, some, some response, some, evoke some response. If Hashem is here and there's no internal response, then that means you don't understand that Hashem is here. You don't appreciate that Hashem is here. You walk into a shul, should be a sense of awe, sense of everyone is immersed in the davening. Everyone is trying to connect. You walked into a Chabad shul throughout the ages. 
davening was serious business. Davening was real. It was the simplest Jew, the greatest Jew. Everyone was lost in the prayer. Everyone was concentrating. Everyone was connecting. Everyone was... It was alive. It was, it was something to behold. It was a holy sight. It was an awesome sight. It was very inspiring just to see the effort, the, the weirdness. The, the Hashem is here. It's godly. It was a godly experience. And just watching it was godly. Seeing the sincerity and the... the the genuineness and the soul stirring and the you felt something real is happening here you know this is not just something is connecting here something real is happening here this is this is, this is something it's an event something to look forward to it's an event you're davening with Hashem you're talking to Hashem you're connecting with Hashem Hashem is revealing himself making himself accessible and I can connect with him that's what davening has to be but for a person to speak while you're davening this is this is means you reveal you expose that you have no understanding of davening it's the connection Chabad Hasidus place such an emphasis on davening more than any other Hasidic groups it's like this was the soul of the Baal Shem Tov, of davening of connecting with Hashem it's a marriage to Hashem it's a relationship Yiddishkeit is a relationship it's a marriage it's, it's, it's alive it's real it's happening now it's personal Hashem evokes a response from within us, which, which, of course, Hashem reciprocates by showering us with all His blessings. This is the soul. This is the fire of Yiddishkeit. This is the heart of Yiddishkeit. Prayer is the heart. That's why the prayers we get from our parents, the prayers we get from our ancestors, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Avram instituted Shachrit. Yitzchak instituted Mincha. Yaakov instituted Torah we get from Moshe. Moshe taught us Torah. But prayer we get from our parents. Because they, they are the heart. Moshe is the mind. The avot, our ancestors, they are the heart. Prayer is the heart. And that's why they are our fathers. Where there's a heart, there are children. There's results. The mind doesn't have results. The mind is too abstract. Ideas are too abstract. It doesn't affect us. It doesn't impact us. But when you take through prayer when you work it, when you engage your heart and your heart is on fire and Hashem evokes a personal response from within us, which is the heart, which is prayer. It means it's a marriage, a relationship. It comes alive. There are results. That leads to deeds. That leads to action. That leads to living a Jewish life and thinking like a Jew and acting like a Jew and speaking like a Jew. So, so the heart is the center. That's why it's so central to Yiddishkeit and so central to Hasidus is central to Chabad Hasidus. It's, and that's what Alter Rebbe is trying to impress here. The third, this, this third letter that deals with prayer, you know, the power of, of prayer. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.